Hey Jexiteers, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm interviewing Jordan Robertson, a former Jehovah's Witness who left the organisation in 2017 and has recently become an XJW activist. So Jordan, thanks for joining me today. Nice pleasure. Um, how, how's it going? Yes, yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to be on the channel. Thank you very much for, for having me on. Well, thank you for joining me. So um, I stumbled across your um, first video recently, I think just, just in the past few days, it was this week actually, uh, I stumbled across your channel and I watched your first video and um, I reached out to you and uh, you replied and we decided that we wanted to, uh, to collaborate together. Yes, yeah, like, like you said, it, it's, it's good to get someone else in the UK. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of representation amongst the XJW community on YouTube, but it, yeah, it's nice to find a, you know, an extra face in the UK. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm very keen to, uh, you know, represent the UK a lot more. Yeah, definitely. No, I think I think we could, um, yeah, definitely put it on the map a bit more. You know, make a bit more awareness in the United Kingdom in the XJW community. Yeah, absolutely. So, please tell us a bit about your story. Uh well, if I, I suppose if I go right back to the start then, um, I'm a born in, so I was born in 94 and raised in the truth um, and I was baptised at the tender age of, of 12 and I can still remember it to this day because I was the only one who got baptised that day, so that was a bit, oh, wow. yeah, I remember the, the moment where the brother asked me to stand up and in front of eight, 900 people and uh, yeah, I'll never forget that day. Um, but yeah, I got baptised at 12. Um, right, like I said, raising the truth. Um, I always believed it growing up, um, but there was always an element of me that just wanted to be normal like every other kid. You know, if you're raising the truth, you know, like yourself, you just want to be normal like, mm. like other children and you feel like you're missing out a little bit with Christmas, birthdays, etc. That resulted in a bit of bullying because obviously I went to public school. Um, the earlier years were the, were the toughest, I think, because you sort of stick out like a sore thumb and you, you stand out as different. Um, so I struggled at school for a little bit. Um, and then it, school got a bit easier as I got into my teens. Um, but, but living at home, you never really question anything, you know, I wouldn't say I was right on the edge of the organisation in terms of always wanting to, you know, potentially going to come out of it. Um, I wouldn't say I was in the centre either. I was kind of, I knew it was the truth, but then there were elements that, like I said, I just wanted to be normal like every other kid. And I remember when I was about 15, 14 or 15, I had opportunities to, to um, get into professional football or go for a trial at a local team. And uh, I really wanted to do it. And my mum, well, my parents both stopped it, but it was my mum who, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, uh, you can't commit to football and Jehovah. You've got to go to the meetings. You've got to do the ministry. Um, so that's like one, I suppose, one regret I've got is I never had the opportunity to see, if, you know, if I could have gone down that avenue. Um, pioneered a few times. Um, as I got older, I had privileges in the congregation. Um, I did the sound, did the mics, you know, so kind of like your standard young brother in the congregation, really. I'm not yeah. like an ultra spiritual brother, 
um, but I believed it, went along with it, never really questioned it. Um, and then I, in 2013, I decided to grow a beard. Um, and that was, that was my first experience uh, of elders and the control and manipulation they can have on a local level. And uh, I was on the sound and I remember it was my turn to do the sound and it was my, also my first meeting I turned up with a beard so I had a lot of people look at me a bit weirdly. Um, and I'll never forget the coordinator of that, the congregation at the time, he beelined for me as soon as he came into the Kingdom Hall and come up to me uh, and just said, you can't do the sound tonight. Um, and through my head, I, kn I knew what was coming, but I sort of said to him, well, why can't I do the sound? Or, what, what have I done wrong? And uh, he just looked at me and, and did this to me. Um, so I got thrown off the sound that night, um, was no longer allowed to do the mics, read the, read the paragraphs, etc. Can I ask what, what justification did they give you for that? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a good question because that's exactly what I asked. You know, my dad's my dad's an elder, so I had a little bit of an inkling of what elders could and can't do. You know, to you know to the rank and file in terms of counselling, and when it comes to counselling people, they need to provide scriptural proof, um, for which there is none. There's different scriptures where they they try and um, sort of use that as an example. I you know. Just because it's your right, I can't remember it. You know the the exact word. All things are lawful, but not all things are advantageous. That's it. Um, and they tried to use that one on me, and that just didn't wash. Um, because I came back by saying, "Where's a specific scripture where it says I can't have a beard?" And then, if you just look at the watchtowers, all the apostles, you know, Jesus, they all had a beard. Charles Taste Russell, the founder of the religion, had a beard. Um, but I got sort of palmed off with that scripture and then the he sort of mentioned like the hippies in the 80s you know there was a bit of an uproar and they so they i remember they they said they wanted to discourage beards to stay away from that movement but i said well that's all well and good but we're in 2013 now yeah you know so that didn't wash with me at all um and i think out of the body of elders i'd say 80 percent of them just didn't personally like beards you know, so because I'd actually grown one, like I said, they took me off, uh, lost all my privileges. And they really wanted to make an example out of me in the congregation because there was a few young brothers around my age that they really wanted to make an example out of me. So they, um, yeah, they took me off of everything and, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't do the mics, barely give talks. And even certain elders went as far as to not take my hand during the watchtower sometimes uh, and stop wow. talking to me. Yeah. Yeah, there's certain up, there's certain brothers on the body of elders who have been in a very long time, so they've seen the organisation change over years, but they're still stuck in their old ways on the, on a yeah. personal level, and uh, yeah, they sometimes wouldn't even take my hand on on the watchtower. Yeah. Wow, funny funny you should say that because um, I remember when I was in my mid teens, uh, there was a circuit overseer who had a real bee in his bonnet about mm. coloured shirts. Really? Yeah. He had a real bee in his bonnet about coloured shirts. It was like it, any colour other than white was just wrong in his eyes. And um, at a circuit assembly once, he came onto the platform and he made a comment 
about um, brothers in the audience looking like peacocks we're <laughs> <laughs> wearing, wearing colourful shirts and um, I, I heard I mean this is only a rumour but um, I heard that he actually got reprimanded for saying that wow yeah, I know there's yeah I, I know there's some there's some congregations like uh, my dad because he would he would wear coloured shirts but I remember yeah. growing up there was a few congregations because it's like you can go to one congregation and a beard might be okay or a coloured shirt might yeah. be okay but you go to another one and it's like oh if you want to give a talk here again don't send a brother with a beard or you know don't send a brother with a you know a coloured shirt it's yeah. And they got a real stigma with jackets as well, haven't they? You have to wear a suit, don't you? Exactly. You can't just wear like a smart jacket and, and a nice smart pair of trousers. It has to be a suit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was never that in my last congregation. My last congregation wasn't wasn't like that. I mean, I actually had a beard for quite some time. Yeah. Um, it, like once a year, I would grow a beard for like two months just, you know, to give my face a change. <laughs> and um, I know there were a couple of brothers that, that didn't like it, but it never um, held me back from having privileges. Yeah. So it varies from place to place. Well, it's funny you mention that because uh, the congregation I was born and raised in, obviously they were a very anti-beard. Um, and this treatment led me to leave my, that congregation for about six months. And I went to another neighboring congregation who didn't have a problem with bids. I walked yeah. into their congregation and they said, yeah, you can do the mics, you can do the sound, you know, give yeah. talks, you know, answer up. They they didn't have an issue with bids. Yeah. Um, and it's that kind of level of inconsistency, yeah. you know, that was just like, again, with, with a few other things, that started to sort of play on my mind a little bit. But yeah. being a born in, being living at home still, you know, it's, it's still not enough for me to just, you know, fully question it going with an open mind and, and, and you know and, and do my own research should we say but um you know i'll never forget as well talking about the beards i don't know if you remember there was a watchtower that came out um i think it was about three years after yeah, about 2015 2016 I i'd have to do the research one, yeah. and they they had a whole section on dress and grooming yeah. And I'll never forget it. If I saw the watchtower in front of me, I know it's paragraph 18. I can't remember what the title of the article was. But on that p paragraph 18, it dealt with beards. Because yeah. I think the governing body were aware this was becoming a bit of an issue. Yeah. Um, because the previous year, I went to Twickenham for the convention. And I had international delegates come up to me from America saying, oh, so how long have you been studying? <laughs> and I go, I I... I I'm a born here. I've, I've been raised, you know, I'm baptised. I've been baptised for a long time. Oh, you know, yeah. it's just because you've got a beard. In America, you're not allowed to have a beard. Mm. And, it, you know, it's just little things like that. But going back to that watchtower, the question was, I think, what was what about the propriety of brothers who decide to wear a beard? Mm. So I think the governing body had dealt with it and kind of basically said, it's not an issue, but it it is if you want to do things on like a circuit level, if you want to progress in the religion. You know, if you want to give talks at circuit assemblies, you know, and be, a, you know, an elder doing away talks and, you know, etc., then you, you can't have a beard. But the Watchtower conductor said to me at that point, and just to add a bit of context, I then moved back into Froome at this point. I went back to my, my uh, congregation in Somerset, uh, where my parents were. And the brother who was doing the Watchtower, who personally didn't like beards, he approached me before the meeting and said, please do not put your hand up on paragraph 18. We'd appreciate it if you didn't comment on that paragraph. Wow. They didn't want you to embarrass them. No. 
I had to just, I had to forego like, you know, my, my time, because they, they, like, they knew I was like, I might have, you know, I wouldn't have been a bit sarcastic I, as much as I would have felt like it, because it, you know, it was a bit of an issue for me in, in terms of the way I've been treated. But there was a potential opportunity for me to embarrass the body of elders yeah. Um, yeah. With, with that issue. Um, but I was told, can you refrain from, from putting your hand up uh, and, and comment on, on, on that paragraph? And and that's that's the mindset of the whole organisation. There's not there's no well we, we were wrong we're sorry, you know. There, there's none of that. It's just it's just pride and arrogance. That's it. Yeah, you know. But when we do when the rank and file do things wrong, you, you know, yeah. you got the book thrown exactly. at you essentially, and you're made an example of. Yeah. And um, what really annoyed me was after that meeting. Uh, that was on a Sunday, so the next Thursday meeting, three brothers turned up with beards. Wow. Just after that, you know. Yeah. So you could see, like, there were other brothers in the congregation who wanted to grow beards, but oh. just, you know, they were afraid to do it because of what the elders were yeah. going to do to them. But, you know, I, I said, it's my, like, I'm, I'm just going to grow one anyway. It's, it's my personal it's my personal rights, my personal choice. Um. But yeah, as soon as that watchtower had been brought out, they uh, more brothers then turned up into the congregation with beards. And then the elders approached me after and said, oh, following that watchtower, we'd like to, you know, invite you to do the mics again and all of this. And and the kind of person I am, I really wanted to say, you know, get lost. But, you know, yeah. I I accepted, um, you know, the, you know, to get my privileges back and then give talks again. Um, but yeah, that was that was my first sort of real running with elders. I I've been you know, as a young kid, I kept my head down in the congregation, never really had any issues with elders. But yeah, that was my first sort of running with elders um, over it. And uh, yeah, going forward, I think after that, I um, I got married at twenty one, um, which was a bit of a young age looking back, um, and. I think we only dated for about just under a year because I sort of went into it on my video about um, when you caught somebody in the truth that I think if you prolong your, your courting then the elders will start sort of putting a bit of pressure yeah. on you. Um, and I think a lot of young people get married in the truth for mixed reasons. Um, but yeah, I was too young, too inexperienced. And uh, I remember being on my honeymoon and and thinking, I think I've made a mistake here. Um, and then, yeah, 10 weeks after I got married in 2015, I, I'd moved back in with my mum and dad. We'd separated temporarily. Um, and it was at this point I uh, I decided to become inactive. I just stopped going um, for a lot of personal issues. It wasn't necessarily to do with waking up or anything. I just, you know, I had a lot of, of issues going on in my personal life and I stopped going to meetings um, and I took up boxing uh, to sort of channel my anger and it was it was great really. Um, but in that time, I, I lived at home for a few months. That's when I started to do a bit more research on the Royal Commission um, and then I stumbled across Lloyd's channel. And uh, that's where it really started. Um, but a couple of months after we got into the memorial season and obviously living at home, my dad's an elder, my mum's going. Um, 
they really wanted me to come to the memorial. I remember them saying, look, if you, if you can only come to one meeting this year, just, just come to the memorial. Um, so I decided to go. Um, and not long after that, I decided to reconcile my issues with my ex-wife. Um, oh. And then, but in saying that, I said to her, like, I've been to the moor, I said, but I still don't really want to go to meetings for many reasons. But I didn't really go into the Royal Commission or, you know, I didn't want her to know that I was watching apostate videos because I would have been disfellowshipped on the spot. I'm sure she would have took that to the elders. Um, but then I went to the convention that year in, in 2016, which I believe was the Love Never Fails convention. Um, and I just, you know, giving a little bit of context to that, you know, when I used to go boxing training in between that, it was on a Thursday night. And I would still go, even, you know, we, me and my ex, we got, we got a house together. And uh, I said, look, before we got back together, I said, look, I'm happy to get back together and reconcile our issues, but I don't want to go to the meetings, you know, which she was fine with her initially, but then he got to Thursdays and then that started to become an issue because I'd get ready to go at the gym. She'd have to go to the meeting on her own. Um, and then yeah, it got to convention season and then I got roped into going to the convention. And I was kind of at a stage though, I, I thought, I've done the truth for, you know, 22, 22 21 years. Um, and I've kind of been in it, but I've never really thrown myself into it. Mm. And I'm at that age now where I, I'm potentially looking at other things. I'm looking into scientific things a little bit more. Um, I've stumbled across Lloyd's Channel. I've seen the Royal Commission. And just giving an example of the level of control the organisation has on you. I had all this evidence in front of me, but I still wanted to prove it's the truth. Mm. Um, so I hit a crossroads and I was like, you know, if I, if I look at my life, what's going to be like the next five to 10 years, will I be able to look back and say, look, I, did I really try the truth properly to, you know, put the, you know, my beliefs up to, up to scrutiny? Did I really throw myself into it? Because then I can, if I do walk away from it in the future, I can look back and say, you know, at least I tried it properly. Um, so at that point, I, I walked away from the convention. As you do, you know, you feel all spiritual after a convention, you like, you know, you, and uh, I put all those issues to bed initially about the, you know, with the Royal Commission and, and Lloyd's Channel. Um, and really threw myself into the organisation. Uh, did a bit of pioneering, did part-time work, sort of worked for myself, you know, so I did a bit of painting, a bit of window cleaning as you do, you know, yeah. you're encouraged to take up menial work. Um, and then, yeah, I got to about 18 months and I was miserable, A, in my marriage, and I was miserable in the truth. It, like, I really tried, you know, to apply Jehovah's principles into my marriage and into my personal life. Um, but I just couldn't ignore the things that I'd read and listened to 18 months ago. I tried to, but I, I needed to come in with an open mind. Um, so yeah, I left my marriage and then I just stopped going to meetings. Um, and then I met a worldly girl and uh, that's, why, that's why I was disfellowshipped for, for, for dating a worldly girl. Um, and that was a tough process. Uh, my brother alluded to it in the interview I did with him. 
um, they really wanted to hunt me down. And uh, I moved out of my marriage home. I literally told nobody where I was going to move to. I just wanted to just, you know, lay low, shall we say. Just, I just want to leave peacefully because I don't want to be disfellowshipped. I don't want my family to shun me. Um, but I'd have phone calls off the elders and then they found somehow found out where I lived. Um, and I'd come home from work a few times and they sat in my driveway. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I've heard some crazy stories of things like that. Elders like traveling across the country to <laughs> to, to, to to track someone down. It's like they, they, they think they're the police. Yes. My dad's always told me that the elders aren't policemen, but they kind of are really, aren't they, to be honest, yeah. you know, and um, like with the beard issue, I people it got around the congregation that I was leaving my marriage and I was, you know, I'd, I'd done boxing and I was going to get back into it and things like that. And I think the elders, again, wanted to make an example out of me because they go, well, we can't let Jordan do what he wants to do because then that's just a green light for everyone else. If you want to leave the congregation, you know, I just tried to leave covertly and quietly. Just want to, don't, no issues, just leave me alone. I'm going to go and do my own thing. Um, but yeah, they, they turned up at my door. And the first thing the elder said to me was, he just looked at me with, with a look of disgust and said, you're difficult to track down, aren't you? Oh. And uh, I was, yeah, I was fuming at this point. And uh, I, I, a lot of things were going through my mind, but I, I kept calm and I said, where did you get my address from? And he, uh, he said, well, Jehovah works in mysterious ways. Honestly, the arrogance. Who do they think they are? Yeah. And uh, I initially said, look, if you're not going to answer that question, I'm not answering your questions. And I walked in my door, shut the door, you know, because I know a little bit about it. You're never really in that position, but I knew that my dad always obviously was an elder. And he sort of said, look, if you want the elders to just leave you alone, just refuse to answer their questions um, and, and just, you know, try and sort of just fade, shall we say, and just make yourself difficult to contact. And eventually they'll just leave you alone. And that's what I was trying to do initially. Um, but after that conversation, two weeks later, they're back on my, my driveway. And, uh, and they said, There's, uh, we found some pictures on, on social media um, with you with another, with, with another girl. And uh, this was you know, the, the worldly girlfriend. We were just seeing each other at the time. And uh, they said, is, he knows his person in the truth. I said, no. Um, and then obviously they wanted to pull me in for a judicial committee. Um, I don't know how I managed to let myself do that, to be honest, but I had two elders cornering me on my driveway. And after they'd left and wanted to pull me in for a judicial, um, I had a neighbour come up to me and she said, are you okay? She said, it looks like, you know, you're being, you're being cornered a bit there. She said, you know, who are those men? Are they like barristers or something? I said, or policemen. I go, no. I said, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And she was just like, oh, if you'd have told me that, I would have rung the police for you. And I was just like, yeah, so I got cornered in my own, in my own flat. That's terrible, like, in intimidating behaviour. Yes, 
yeah, and I got sort of put under pressure. I, I just, like I said, I just wanted to fade, just wanted to be left alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got pulled in through judicial and uh, obviously got disfellowshipped for, for having a worldly girlfriend and, well, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> so, um, you know, my parents had contact with me for the week after because they knew I got disfellowshipped, but obviously you got to wait because you can appeal for the week, can't you? Yeah. So they kind of took advantage of that. Um, and yeah, as soon as the week came up and it got announced at the meeting, um, yeah, that was it, really. And and what is your relationship with, with your parents now? Um, we've had a few family emergencies. Um, I The main one, my grand dying in 2018. Occasionally I could speak to my, my parents, like... Um, like occasionally I would ring them up, you know, living on your own. Sometimes I, I did struggle a little bit and wanted to speak to them. And sometimes they would pick the phone up to me uh, earlier on. Um, and it was just the same old, you know, you know, the arrangement I got told countless times, we love Jehovah more than you. You know, that's what it would always end in. And the amount of times it would always end in arguments and tears um, and dealing with that. Uh, trauma really put a strain on my relationship with this girl I was with outside of the truth mm. um, you know because we, we, we broke up recently um, and that was one of the main issues was really the it, it was an amicable breakup between us it wasn't but you know it wasn't bad or anything um, but it was you know I'd, there'd be some days where I'd come home from work and she wouldn't know how to talk to me or wouldn't know if she could approach me or not because I've just got a face on me and she's like, what's going on inside me? And from an outsider's perspective, she hasn't got a clue how it all works. Mm, you know, mm. being born and raised in it, you still can't get your head around it. So I, I couldn't expect someone who I just met and been in my life for a few years to understand the shunning arrangement. Um, but yeah, that, that really took a toll, you know, on, um, on my relationship and you know I had days as well um, sort of in the last couple of years because I, I remember playing a game of golf on my own um, a couple of years ago and I wasn't contemplating suicide I'd never done that ever but I walked off the golf course because I had a lot going on emotionally and I just I just appreciated why some people don't want to be here no more and uh which I could never understand before, um, but I wouldn't wouldn't like self harm or anything or want to take my own life. But I remember coming off the golf course and thinking, I can really understand why some people don't want to be here no more. Um, but along that journey, that's where I started to watch more of Lloyd's videos, um, and then my ex girlfriend she took me to the uh, Natural History Museum, and that was a real eye opener. Because it was funny, like, on one of our first dates, I sort of explained quite early on that I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, I'm no longer one, but my parents are going to shun me and all of this. And that didn't bother her at the time, which I was quite surprised about because I was coming with quite a bit of baggage. Um, but, yeah, we went to the Natural History Museum. And uh, seeing, like, seeing firsthand, like, you know, the different fossils and things like that, you know, I was completely shut off to the idea of evolution and, and science. You know, even when I come out of it initially for the first six months, I was like, I still wanted to believe in a God. Mm. Um, but then 
I, like I said, I was at a point where I could go in with an open mind and sort of educate myself, essentially. Um, and even though we're not together today, um, I kind of touched on it in my first video, but I'll always be grateful to her because she was the first person um, in the world who showed me that there are good people out there. There are people who will love you unconditionally. And she encouraged me to get a career and she like you know she really helped me in the transition from JW to being a normal person essentially you know yeah. so that kind of opened my eyes and you know but having to rebuild your social network was quite difficult I can relate to that so much because I had exactly the same experience you know when I met my girlfriend the, the you know just how good a person she is that that really um, hastened my waking up you know, because I realised that, well, hang on, hang on a minute. I was always taught that people like this only existed in the organisation. Yeah. You know, I was taught that worldly people aren't supposed to be this nice and this good. Well, that's, that's what, I mean, I've, I've watched quite a few of your videos, but that's the one that touched me the most, really, on your channel, when you relayed your experience of, you know, because obviously I think you said you got married in the truth quite young and, yeah. you yeah. know, and our, our experiences are quite similar, but then when you mentioned yeah. about you know the you know the you know your your current relationship with your worldly girlfriend. I could relate to that totally, and it was nice to know that someone has been through what I've been through and it can relate to to what I've been through. And yeah, that's why I kind of sort of stumbled across your channel and uh, and personally related to it. That kind of touched me really. That uh, that experience, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. So I was. Going back to where I was when I'd just come out of it, um, went to the National History Museum, started to started to read more, which was funny, you know, because in the 20 odd years I hated reading. Um, and, you know, my dad would always be like, you know, do the watchtower, make sure you prepare for the meetings, all of this. And I hated it. But since I've been out of the truth, I actually do more reading now than I did when I was in it, which is quite yeah. ironic. And, uh, you know, I've, I've picked up sort of Richard Dawkins' book on the God Delusion and I've read his Outgrowing God book and a couple of years ago she took me to one of his seminars in, in London which was really good. Um, and it feels... I'm trying to find the word here. Um, you just feel great that you've, you've sort of done your own research and you've validated it with evidence. You know, you, you're no longer in a belief system where you just, you've got evidence that can debunk it, but you've got to, you know, you, you take faith out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was, that was great for me personally. That was a revelation to see what I'd been taught for 20 odd years was a lie, you know? A, and, you know, this isn't God's one true religion, but also, you know, debunking Noah's Ark and things like that. And, yeah. you know, the earth's four and a half billion years old there's evidence of, of life way past 6,000 years ago. But if I put that kind of evidence to my parents, I, they just refused to look into it. Mm. You know, I, I remember growing up, um, if we were watching Dave and Attenborough on a Sunday afternoon, um, as soon as evolution or anything like that, they'd get the remote... That's it. As soon as he says... Two billion years ago, the, the remote comes out and it's, it's like... 
as soon as he mentions million or billion, that's it. It's going off. <laughs> so yeah, that was those. That was um, that was always interesting. But um, and then on a personal level, because of you know the what it's done for me emotionally, the shunning arrangement. And again, I I touched on it with with my brother in the interview the other day. You don't really know what it's like until it happens to you. It's, you can't compare it to anything. And uh, I, um, yeah, I've, I've been through a lot of, with hurt, like I'm sure a lot of all XGWs do. But for the last 18 months, I've really wanted to pluck the courage up and set up a YouTube channel. Um, so now I've finally done it. But yeah, I, I kind of, I wanted to have my say and I, you know, it's, it's time to make more awareness of, of what this cult does to people and what it does to its members, you know, and uh, it's um, it's kind of just sickening really to see what, you know, the governing body expect of you and uh, and what they want from you. Um, you know, I still love my parents to this day and I'll always love them and me and my brother will when, you know, if they picked the phone up tomorrow and said, we're coming out of it, I wouldn't harbour any grudge. I'd just carry on like nothing's changed. Um, but it does, it does um, hurt, and it's hard to deal with the countless times they said to us, "Jehovah's first, and we love Jehovah more than you." Really, that's it's uh, it's, it's difficult, you know, and it's always going to be difficult. But I think, like for all of us, we're always going to it's always going to be with us. But I suppose it's how you deal with it going forward, isn't it? Really, that, um, yeah. and I think for me personally, setting up the channel. Um, it's kind of like a therapy in itself for me, really. Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly why I started mine and why I uploaded my first video and then my second and then my third. I found yeah. it extremely therapeutic just to get it all off my chest. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally relate. And it, and in, in the short time that I've been on YouTube, the response that I've had and even on, you know, for, you know the support and, you know, since stumbling across your channel and since we've been engaging in conversation, it, it's just... It's nice there is a community out there and, and that's what I want to give back to, you know, I want to give other witnesses or ex-witnesses a, a platform to, to come and, you know, relay their experiences, provide support and um, and also help, you know, ones who are trying to wake up, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it, it's great. It, it feels great to be on the other side of it. You've just freeze the only word to describe it really, isn't it, to be honest? You've got freedom. That's the biggest word that has exactly. been said to me for the last exactly. couple of weeks. You know, and that's yeah. what even you said in your first comment on my, on my first video that I did. Uh, welcome to your freedom. And, uh, yeah. and it is, you, yeah, you just feel free. Yeah. Do you feel that you're much happier now, even though, you know, being shunned and not having contact with your family is, is extremely painful? But do eat, but despite that, do you feel that you're much happier now than you were as a witness? Absolutely. Even when I left, and it was all fresh, because um, my brother felt the same, and we're very passionate people anyway. Um, and when something's taken away from you, it, it really hurts. And the first emotion, I think, for, for speaking for all XJWs, I mean, everybody is different, but I think anger is the overriding emotion. I had a lot of anger for a good couple of years, um, but amongst all of that, I was still happy. Mm. I was happier in my life because I was learning about a the natural world, 
and how human life did come into existence because I've always been quite fascinated by science anyway but being a witness you have to suppress that um, but then speaking in more general terms my life's great I've got myself a career now uh, a career that I can progress in and, and, and do well at rather than just picking up menial work I've learned mm. there are genuine people out there yeah. and uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge admirer of, uh, of Ricky Gervais, and oh, yeah. I, you know, I've been to see some of his comedy um, comedy shows. But there's a few of his quotes that I really like, um, and I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head now. Um, I think it was his quote um, where he says, "We're all going to die soon, so just have a laugh." You know, <laughs> so I've learned to enjoy life more, have a laugh. Yeah. You know, I've, I've learned a sense of humour is really important in, in just everyday life. But also, I think the hardest thing for me to undo with the indoctrination side of things, I don't know if this was for you, you've, you've got to undo that idea of, I'm going to live forever. Oh, you my know. goodness. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, absolutely. That was really hard. And I think I've only really come to terms with that and dealt with that in the last year. Mm. I'm I'm still trying. I'm still trying. I mean, the the idea that one day I won't be here anymore. That's I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. You know, yeah. I, I accept it on a on a intellectual level, yeah. but it, emotionally, it's really okay. really difficult. Especially when, as you get a little bit older, I'm a, I'm a few years more than a few years older than you, and you know, when you wake up with aches and pains and your eyesight starts failing you and stuff like that. It's like yeah. signs of, you know, advancing age. That it's really, really difficult to come to terms with. Mm. You know, it's yeah. really difficult. That's been the, 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 you know, aside from the shunning from my parents, that's been the thing I've struggled with the most. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I don't like the thought of it, but I kind of just had to, for me personally, I've just had to make peace with it but it allows yeah. me now to enjoy life because I've, yeah. I've learned how fragile it is. Yeah, um, sure. And, you know, if you want to do something in life, just go and do it. Whereas, yeah. you know, as a witness, you don't do things because it's like, well, I'm going to live forever anyway. So, you know, we're just, this is all temporary. You know, I'll do it in the new exactly. system. Exactly. I mean, I remember being at an assembly and hearing um, a brother say when you go on holiday and you get to your apartment or your hotel room you don't go and plumbing a new washing machine because yeah. you know you're not going to be there for a long time it's just temporary so that's the idea we should have with this world yeah you know and things messages like that i really really took to heart i really took those things seriously you know i remember um i i, I even used to to impress that upon my kids you yeah. know I remember, um, do, do, you, do you remember Dr. Winston? Is this um, this this doctor, I think he's a professor. Um, he has like brown curly hair and a thick bushy moustache. And he does these, um, these uh, programs on BBC where he like charts the progress of children right back from when they're born. And then like every five years they go back to the same kids and like chart their development. Right. And um, I remember one, one, one of his shows they've done this experiment to try and to try and understand how children at different ages perceive time so they got children from a range of ages and they sat them in a room and then they put a piece of chocolate in front of them and they said 
you can have this piece of chocolate now or you can wait for five minutes and have a whole bar which one do you want and they found that children up until the age of about five always went for the piece of chocolate now whereas older children waited the five minutes yeah because to them five minutes isn't a long period of time but for children under five five minutes yeah. might as well be forever <laughs> so i used to use that as an illustration to my children to, to say the world that we're living in now is the one piece of chocolate but the new system is the whole bar mm. i used to tell them that so i said you know a sign of being spiritually mature is not investing in this world and yeah. just waiting until the new system to do everything that you want I, I really feel bad that i that i used to tell them that now but i was i you know i was completely sold on the idea of the paradise and a new system and everything yeah. to me it was it was 100 percent real yeah uh, it, it's, uh, even though we're on the other side of it, it it we've still got we're still dealing with implications and restrictions that are still put upon us now and that's what i think is hugely yeah. unfair i think you know with the shunning you know, it, it's, and then the, the idea of, of having to undo the, the indoctrination of I'm not going to live forever, it's, it's, it screws you up, you yeah. know, really. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, the, the greatest analogy I sort of, for my own experience was when I came out, I just had to hit the reset button. Mm. I had to restart everything. Um, and even though I'm st I was still young enough, you know, I... Like even getting a good job and a career, obviously that was discouraged. Um, so when you put all of that together, the amount of pressure you've got on yourself to fit into the normal world, learn what the worlds are like, find a job, and then having to deal with, um, like you said, uh, you know the you know we're not going to live forever. Yeah. That's an awful lot to put on yourself mentally. It's a lot. It is a lot. It's a huge amount. I remember. Um... Once my girlfriend asked me, you know, what, what goals do you have? What dreams and ambitions do you have? And I sat down and thought about it and I said to myself, I don't know. I've never thought about it before. Mm. You know, and at that moment, I felt like I wasn't even a real person. You know, I felt like yeah. I wasn't a real person because I literally did not know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, and it was, it's, it, it's a really horrible thing to, to, to come to realise, you know, that, that your that your your personal development has been stunted. Yes. When you when you grow up as a witness, mm. and I think you you really don't realise it. You think you know what the world is all about, and you understand everything, and you know you yeah. you know what's going to happen in the future, but you really don't. And when when that realization hits you, it's a real, you know, it really messes with your mind. Each. And I don't mean this in a good way, but it's just clever what the governing body have done, isn't it, really? Yep. You know, A, how to retain the membership, but then, it, you know, if people are strong enough in themselves to, to speak out and leave it, everyone's got to deal with some kind of baggage. Yep. And it, that's, that's what I think is incredibly cruel, amongst other things going on, in, you know, currently in, in, in the organisation. But on a personal level, the struggle you have to deal with when you, you know, you essentially start in the, in the real world, it's just cruel, you know, um, yeah. what, what's yeah. been put upon us. And, uh, well, like, like we've said, we, more people need to speak out against it, really. Because um, yeah. otherwise nothing gets done, you know. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a tough few years. But 
to sum it up, even though it's been the toughest period of my life, it's been the happiest period of my life. I've learned an awful lot about myself and I know myself now and I've also learned there are genuine people in the world, you know. Yeah, and, uh, that's, that's great. And there's more genuine people in the world that I've come across than in 23 years as a Jehovah's Witness, you know. I don't know if, if you're into football yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Liverpool supporter. I don't know if you ever, um, don't know if you ever played witness football. Yes, I have. On our, on, we used to when we, me and my brother were younger, we uh, we had uh, our witness football every Sunday evening. Um, and having played football with brothers for years, and then when I first stepped into a worldly eleven-a-side team, I had more problems playing with brothers than I did with, with normal people. You know, the level of competition amongst you know, some brothers. And it ended up with people like, you know, grabbing each other around the scruff of the neck and you, you yeah. bring an atmosphere back into yeah. the congregation. Absolutely. And it got that bad at one point. They had to have a local needs on, on football. And we stopped it for a few months because of the I, disruption it caused in the congregation. I've actually heard of things like that many, many times. I mean, in fact, in years ago, um, before, before any of the kids were born, um, a few congregations in my circuit we had like a not not football but like american football we had like um like a flag football i think it's called or, or touch football i can't remember what, what it was called but it's sort of like american football yeah so we had like a little league going so we used to play other congregations and uh there was this <laughs> there was this brother in this um in one of the other congregations and he was huge he was huge. He actually used to play American football in America. Um, he oh, used to live over football. there. And to practice, he used to tie a mattress. I mean, this is what I heard. I heard that he would tie a mattress onto a tree and then just tackle the mattress. And that's how he would train and, and like, practice. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we were playing against his congregation. And... He he fell on top of me quite a few times, which was accidental. But there was one time where he tackled me to the ground and he trod on my head. Blinded me in my left eye. I was I was blind for, for a good for a good week or so. I couldn't see out of my left eye after he trod on my eye. I dislocated my shoulder and it was just so violent and competitive and aggressive. It was absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely crazy. I was injured so badly, I couldn't even bathe myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, laugh, I laugh when I look back on it now. But <laughs> yeah, the attitude was really bad. Really bad. Yeah, yeah but it, it, it always, like, you know, having a little bit of a joke, it always made me laugh because obviously, you know, in some of the, the watchtowers, you've got examples in the, in the paradise of people playing football. And I'm like, God, that's going to end in arguments, even in the paradise. Yeah. <laughs> it's still going to be the same football we had on a Sunday, you know, yeah. where brothers wouldn't talk to us, you know. Yeah. But yeah, we had to have a local needs on it. I remember when I was about 13, because it just brought yeah. an atmosphere into the congregation. Yeah, I think that the reason for that is that witnesses, that the witness lifestyle is such a repressive one in so many different ways. You know, you're just so repressed that any opportunity you have to let loose, you just go overboard. Because yeah. this is such a common thing. 
yeah. you know, it's, it's with with sports and with drinking and like partying, any type of like recreation, it just goes way out of hand, more so yeah. than the wicked worldly people that you know that they have such a stigma against. Yeah, it, it it's funny, like even in those small areas, yeah. And if you've got an opportunity to, you know, be like you said, express yourself a bit more, people just go overboard because. Yeah. Yeah. You're not yourself when you're a witness. No, you're holding everything in. They've they call it the new personality, um, but it's the personality that they want you to, you know, adhere to. Exactly. We're all. It, it takes away individuality. Yeah. And Absolutely. if you can't be yourself in something, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. People are like this, you know, because I was like it, and um, you know, you you just die in. To be yourself and it, it's it's quite sad you're just lying to yourself really isn't you mm. you know you, you take the beliefs out of it you're just lying to yourself on a personal level like you can't be your true self you can't pursue certain interests you know um you know because you know like i mean i like i like, I like comedy a lot and uh i'm on top of being a ricky gervais fan which i could never tell any witness about um, I'm a huge Lee Evans fan as well and uh, I was lucky enough to go to his last tour in 2014 and uh, I remember some, some witnesses got wind that I went to, went to Lee Evans and I, like, I got not counselled on it but I got advised by elders you know should you really be going to watch you know things like this and, then it's, and it's just like even the small things you just micromanage it's not just what you watch and what you go and watch, it's like thought crime as well, isn't it? You, you can't yeah. think about certain things. Yeah, um, exactly. And, exactly. And trying to undo all of that is is, is tough. Um, yeah. I think the biggest challenge I've had, amongst other things, is um, learning to socialise with worldly people. Because mm. I've had such a stigma um, to them for, for, for 20 odd years, and not can't go anywhere near them can't socialize with them now that i can and i'm free to do it it's, it's like you kind of like don't know how yeah yeah it's like you know you kind of like what have i got you know yeah, i'm a little bit socially awkward sometimes because it's like i'm not used to you know interacting with people like this and um yeah when you learn that the world isn't what the governing body says it is it's just a real eye-opening experience but yeah it's, it's been a been a long tough four years but also yeah definitely happiest for me personally it's uh it's great and then to finally get here where i am get myself out onto youtube it's brilliant really you know and uh that's great I mean, I've, I've had similar experiences as well it's like you have to learn a whole new social etiquette you know so there, there have been times where I've, i felt like i was a foreigner or an alien or something because i just didn't feel comfortable or like i fitted in or I didn't know yeah. how to relate to anyone around me. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's a learning. It's a learning process. Yeah, I like my um, my ex partner. She uh, she's a hairstylist, and I remember we would I'd occasionally, not long after I left, we'd go out drinking and socialising with them. And even to this day, it does annoy me a little bit because they'd go up to my ex my ex girlfriend and and sort of say, you know, what's the matter with Jordan? Like, is he all right? And you know like you've just got this face on you the whole time because eh? you're dealing with the shunning side of things but then trying to learn to interact with with normal people for me personally has been a real challenge 
Um, and yeah, it's about, you know, just, yeah, like you said, you've got to learn this, this social etiquette, you know, and I think witnesses do come across as arrogant to people in the real world because they, because subconsciously, even when you're out in the ministry, you think you're better than everybody because you've got all the answers, don't you? You think, right, you know, you, you, you pity people, don't you? Yeah. And it's undoing that, like you know, they're, they're they're equals. You don't, you know, they're not any better than us. Um, we haven't got all the answers. It's it's undoing all that arrogance as well, which is and you don't realise you like it at the time, do you? Not at all. Not at all. You you when you're a witness, you actually think you're one of the nicest people around. Yeah. yeah. Do Do you find that you you're a lot more empathetic generally to people now that you're not a witness anymore? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, I'm a lot more um, what's the word? Well, yeah, like you said, empathetic. But yeah, I'm a lot more attuned to it than than what I was. Um, and being in the real world, you sort of you've got you're more aware of more emotional issues people deal with. Yeah. Um, and you know everybody handles them differently. There isn't a set way to handle it. And and I think you know if you've got emotional or mental issues in the truth you know they discourage really therapy things like that so i'm more open to things the idea of therapy and things like that if i if i needed it whereas as a witness it's like just read this article and you know just keep you know keep praying keep meditating and and read literature and that's not how you deal with it do you really you know that's not how you deal with your issues so um yeah definitely i'm a lot more empathetic towards people and, and and issues to deal with on an emotional level yeah I, I find that too you know because um as a witness all the problems will be solved you know in the new new system after armageddon so you, you turn a blind eye to you know people's struggles and people's suffering i mean on some you do feel sorry for them but that you're not motivated to do anything about it because jehovah will sort it out you know any day now it's just around the corner <laughs> yeah, Jehovah's going to come and sort everything out. A, a real good point's come to mind, and I'm, I'm, it's just jogged my memory. Um, whilst I was waking up, whilst you speak about that, Jehovah's going to sort it. Um, when I lost faith in God completely, even when, you know after coming out of, um, of being a Jehovah's Witness, the main reason, aside from scientific evidence, that I lost faith in God um, is because I was brought up to believe in an intervenous God. Mm. and you know countless times my mum would tell me growing up or you know when I lived on my own and I was struggling I always Jehovah always provided you know I just about had enough money to pay my bills and all of those you know convenient stories where they say God's hand um, God God provided Um, but then I would go well what about cancer in children what about what about children who are starving on the other side of the earth so you're going to tell me he's intervening, but he only intervening in your life. You know, you live in the Western world, you've got food, you've got clothes, you've got somewhere to sleep. But what about people in the real world who've got none of that? Yeah. Yeah. But, he, exactly. you know, his purpose um, and, you know, helping you find a Bible study or helping you find the money to pay your bills for the month is more important than, you know, yeah. those issues, you know, around the world. And then when I learned about the the cover-up of child abuse, you know, 
the governing body harp on about, oh, we've got JW Broadcasting, and now we've got this new studio that they've got for, you know, for the new Jesus series coming out. And they talk about, um, like, you know, Jehovah's Hand has played a part in how they found that studio. And then I'm there, like, what's, like, you're telling me a studio is more important to Jehovah rather than exposing and dealing with paedophiles in his organisation, mm. you know. Exactly. I would have more sense to believe in it if, if his Holy Spirit, you know, filtered out people like that instead of covering it all up. But then they sit there on a global level and say, you know, Jehovah's Hand has, you know, paid a part in us getting this new studio. And then on my mum saying, Jehovah's Hand and his Holy Spirit helped me get that Bible study or pay my bills for the month. And that, that just didn't wash with me anymore. No, it, it, that's a really good point. In fact, um, I remember Ricky Gervais saying something similar. He was talking mm. about prayer. And he said, you know, there are kids starving and dying all over the world all the time. What makes you think that God is going to help you pass your driving test? <laughs> you know, yeah. it just makes so much sense when you look at it from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it from a scientific point of view. I mean, I am an atheist, but how Richard Dawkins defines atheism is, is perfect, really. Um, science can never totally disprove anything. As, you know, so we can't totally disprove the existence of God. But what I do reject is all the gods that are on offer in, you know, today's, you know, today's society. I reject those gods. I don't refute there could be a designer. I just think probably there isn't a designer. Um, but in terms of the religions and the gods that are on offer today, I reject all of those, you know, to be honest. And uh, talking about Ricky Gervais, one of, the, one of his other quotes I really like, he said, there's nearly 4,000 gods in existence today. But he said, Your, yours is real. Not everyone else's, just your God is real. You know, and, and that's that's the same for the theme for, I think, for religion as, as a whole, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, and if you believe your God intervenes like we did, but then you see the injustice in the world, it just like, you know, it just sent me the other way, to be honest. That's when I lost faith, yeah. you know, in, in a God or in a God that I've, you know, that's that's put on offer to me, you know, in society today. So, you know, there might be an intelligent designer out there, but it's certainly not a god. <laughs> certainly, the, certainly isn't Jehovah. Put it that way. <laughs> you yeah, know, the god I've been told not. to worship. Um, and I don't know about yourself, but it's just as coming out of the truth. I really learned the stark contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I don't even believe that they're the same god. No. Or he's got split personality disorder, one of the two, you know. Yeah. But, like, the levels of genocide and, um, yeah. like, I, I mean, we, me and my brother joked about it the other day and I saw your comment in my in the interview where Jehovah would go as, as far as, you know, wiping out complete generations, children and cattle and things like that. And I'm there like, yeah. what the hell did the cow do? You know, yeah. What, yeah. What, what have the animals done to deserve a harsh punishment like this? You know, but... You just accept it, don't you? You just think, oh, well, that was then, you know? Yeah, like, it's like all, all witnesses have this shelf in the back of their head and all the things that don't, don't make sense and that they don't understand, they just put it in the in, on the shelf in the back yeah. of their head. But one day, eventually, that shelf will just break under the weight of everything that's on it. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's sad because it's just like, if you take faith out of a lot of, 
if I said to her, you know, like even if I say use my parents as an example, I said, you need to answer this question, but you're not allowed to use the word faith. Mm. I think there'd be a lot of questions they wouldn't be able to answer. And that's, it's quite sad, really. Not, not attacking them personally, but again, it's what this cult does to people. And, yeah. uh, and it's just incredibly cool, really. And like yeah, the mental conditioning of it, um, uh, it just, you just, you're not encouraged to question anything, really, mm. are you? And, mm. you know, and then, you know, we're like using the Old Testament and the New Testament as an example. But then since I've been out, I never realised there were certain Watchtower and Awake articles that, you know, condoned Shannon in, like, you know, I think it was in 1947. Yeah. Um, they said it was a pagan practice, but then a few years later, then it's like they endorsed Shannon. Yeah. You know, but that's all allowed to go. That's, you got to, you know, yeah. that's new, the new light doctrine. Yeah, th that new light thing just makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense. The only way I knew light would make sense is if the governing body held up their hands and says, we're not God's sole channel of communication. Yeah. If the, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you're God's sole channel of communication and, you know, you're the direct link between God and humankind. And at the same time, say every now and again, we need to update what we say because yeah. we've got a new light. You yeah. can't have it both ways. No. You know, and Lloyd summed it up perfectly as well, didn't he? Because he was like... He, just sort of quoting him or he was sort of saying why would Jehovah intentionally lie to his organisation on the earth exactly. you know if he's with this all be all loving all intelligent perfect God why would he lie to his his you know his organisation his faith and his discreet slave on the earth and um, it was a point my brother made to me early on when I was waking up and he his um, theory is they're just buying more time exactly they have to buy more time because they realise People are getting fed up now and people like my parents, they've been in an awful long time and the end still isn't here, you know, because we both were raised in it. My mum and dad always said to me and my brother, you two will never leave school. Yeah. You two will never get a job. You both won't get married. You probably won't ever have children. Be surprised if you drive a car. Mm. And we've both done all of that and I've got yeah. divorced and my brother's got a kid on the way. Yeah. And we're still waiting. I mean, I've spoken to people in their 60s and 70s who were told exactly the same thing. In their 60s and 70s. And now yeah. they have children who have children who have children. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But it's the same. It's all done in Jehovah's time. Yeah. You know. And, you know, looking at the Bible, 6,000 years of suffering, even though they say that's not a lot of time for Jehovah, that's a lot of time... That's a lot of suffering for generations of humans. But that's, you know, we'll just carry on suffering, shall we? You know, yeah. like we said earlier about the the intervening part, and he only wants yeah. to intervene to, you know, expand his will and his purpose. So JW Studios is more important than what's going on with starving children yeah. who haven't got clean water. You know, it just yeah, uh, exactly. doesn't, doesn't sit well with me, personally. If, if the Jehovah God that the witnesses teach is real, He's a narcissist and, you know, he only cares about things that pertain to himself, which, yeah. which isn't, which isn't the kind of God that I think I want to worship or I believe even deserves yeah. worship. Absolutely. And even, I'm not going to, he's not, I'm not going to go in too graphically with this, but 
I learned as well as, as a teenager, it, it seems God is more interested in what you do with your sexual organs as well than, yeah. again, social issues around the world. It's like, don't have sex before marriage. You know, you, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, so he's more interested in what you do privately than, again, other issues around the world. And like you said, it's yeah. just complete narcissism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems as if he he, he doesn't want you to get involved in anything that you could potentially enjoy or like more than serving him. That That's what it comes down to. It's not necessarily because sex before marriage is morally wrong. It's because it's something that might take you away from him. That's that's what it comes down to. Anything that could take you away from him or, or making him the first and foremost thing, you know. But... Um... So I, I, obviously it's nice to talk to another XJW, but on a slightly different subject, I've always wanted to ask people this. How did you feel when you celebrated your first birthday and your first Christmas? Wow, that's a really good question. My first Christmas was extremely awkward and uncomfortable. There were certain things about it that I really liked. I liked the, the sense of togetherness, the feeling of togetherness and warmth and love i really really enjoyed that but it i you know i was still mentally in the religion when i celebrated my first christmas so it felt very very uncomfortable and um it was a potential deal breaker with me and my girlfriend because she's an absolute christmas fanatic she she's you know she used to work in a christmas shop she absolutely loves christmas and i remember the first time i told her that I'm not going to feel comfortable celebrating Christmas. Goodness me, she it, that went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> it really did. But um, we came to a compromise. I said that I will get involved as much as I'm comfortable with, but there were certain things that I didn't feel comfortable doing. So I, I, I was kind of like just like dipping my toe in. Yes. You know, yeah. um, my first birthday... I didn't feel as bad about my first birthday as I did about my first Christmas. Mm. Um, it, I was extremely happy. It was a it was a lovely day. I felt a little bit of guilt, but mostly I was just overwhelmed with being made to feel so special. Yeah. It's it's not something that I was used to. I, you know, I wasn't used to being made a fuss of or being made to feel special or, yeah. you know, and that that. You know, I, I cried several times. I don't feel bad about saying this. I cried several times on my birthday because, you know, because for that reason. But the second Christmas, <laughs> it was complete opposite. I went in head first <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. I, I felt no guilt whatsoever. You know, I just, I just, it looked like Christmas exploded in my room. I had so many decorations, you know, it, I just, I absolutely loved it. And my second yeah. birthday, which was only last month, that was yeah. that was yeah. so special as well. It was it was a really good day. Mm. Yeah. What well, What about yourself? Oh, yeah, I'll never forget. You know, Christmas twenty seventeen, because um, uh, I mentioned it to you when we spoke the other day. But uh, my ex girlfriend's family they live um, in Bexley Heath. Um, they're not religious at all, um, so we went down there for Christmas. And, uh, you know, it was remembering to buy people presents and cards, which was difficult for me because I'd never done it. You know, even to this day, remembering people's birthdays now is a nightmare because I'm not used to doing it. 
Um, but in terms of the Christmas, I felt like I was complete, com um, committing, sorry, not completing, committing the, a gross sin. Even though I'm disfellowshipped, yeah. I'm shunned my, by my parents. Part of me inside felt like I'm committing a really bad sin here. And, and I do regret it to this day. I even, unfortunately, upset the atmosphere a little bit with the family. Okay. Because I still took it upon myself to tell people the origins of Christmas. Uh, and um, because they, 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 they sort of, I was asked, so well, you know, why have you never done Christmas? And then I, even though I wasn't a witness, everything was coming out of my mouth was was a pagan celebration, and you know, yeah. it's it's nothing to do with Jesus at all. All of this, it's a, you know, it's, it's a bad celebration, all of this, and uh, and um, I kind of upset the atmosphere a little bit, and I do regret that to this day, but. It's just to show you, like, the level of control that, again, yeah. mentally you're still in to a yeah. small degree, even if you're out of it and, you know, you've had your family torn away from you. Um, but it's funny you mentioned about the first birthday because I felt exactly the same. Because for mm. my first birthday, my ex took me to see The Lion King at the Lyceum Theatre, which is what I've always wanted to do, and then she treated me to a meal at the Shard. Mm, that's lovely. And, like... I yeah, I was in. I had a few tears in my eyes, if I'm honest. A because yeah. a lot. I've always wanted to see the Lion King, and it was amazing. But she took me into this mill up the Shire. We had a great view of London, and it was the same point you made. It was just nice for somebody, you know, to 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 make all this effort for you to feel, to feel special for a day, something yeah. that you've never had, you yeah. know, before. Um, and Christmases got better after that because obviously as time went on, you know. The indoctrination, I undid it and and let it go. Um, but yeah, my my partner, we we put up a Christmas. She put a Christmas tree up and did all the decorations because I didn't know what I was doing with all of that. And it was weird. I remember coming home from work, you know, just before we I finished work for the year and went down to London for my first Christmas, and the, and the Christmas tree was up. And it was really weird for me, really really weird, but. Now, yeah, absolutely. It's like last Christmas just gone. I celebrated it with my brother and his family up here, and it, it's great. It's what it should be. Yeah. Um, I feel gut gutted that I'll never understand the magic of Christmas as a child. Mm. Um, we'll miss out on that side of things, but you know, if I have children of my own one day, I will make a point of really, really trying hard with Christmas and birthdays so they can enjoy it. Because at least yeah. I've missed out as a child. I don't want that for them. You know, when when yeah. I have a child, but. Um, yeah, the Christmas and birthdays thing. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange time, but yeah, I got a slight regret on how I celebrated my first one. But again, it's what indoctrination does to you, even whilst you're outside exactly. of it. Exactly. I mean, the way I see it is that what what matters the most is how you how you make people feel around you. Yeah. You know that that's that's more important than what the origin of Christmas is or any or any kind of holiday you know whether it's yeah. pagan or not I mean the whole pagan thing is ridiculous anyway because there's so much that we do that's pagan wedding rings are pagan deck of cards yeah. things like that so many things we do that, that are pagan it, it, it just doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter what matters is is how how you treat people around you how you make them feel how they make you feel that's more important than all of that absolutely yeah, it's like the religious side of it's gone anyway. Yeah. You know, it's a time, it's a time to spend time with your family. It's more of an end of year celebration. 
you know, have a good opportunity for the family to get together, have a bit of fun, have some time off work, have, you know, enjoy some food, exchange gifts, and then, you know, it's a nice way to go into another year, and then, you know, you start again for another year. It, it, the, the pagan and religious side of it is gone. Exactly. Um, and it's funny you mention that, because it's, I'll never forget that article that the, um, was on JW.org about the, they've updated their policy on piñatas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one. And I will paraphrase it, it's not an actual direct quote exactly, but it's speaking along the lines of um, if it doesn't have its, you know, religious or pagan origins, um, essentially. Like if if in the world today, if the religious side or the historical side is no longer recognised, it's okay to have piñatas. And then the first thing I did, well, what about Christmas then? Christmas, exactly. What about birthdays? Yeah. yeah but, but, what about but, saying cheers when you have a drink? <laughs> to this day, there is no scripture in the Bible that says you can't celebrate birthdays. It just puts them in bad light because, you know, John got beheaded at Herod's birthday. And yeah. uh, I can't remember the other instance in the Bible they mentioned it. But that doesn't mean, that's nothing to say you can't celebrate it. But it no. all goes back to the point you mentioned a, a few minutes ago. If there's anything that could potentially take you away from the organisation, it's just a no-go. Regardless of the evidence, regardless of, you know, is it pagan? Is it, you know, is it still religious to this day? How is it widely accepted in the Western world or the 21st century? It's just, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's just a method of control. It's another method of control. Absolutely. You know, and it's just sad, really. And like, like I just said, with the, even coming out of it and what I was coming out of my mouth for my first Christmas, I'll never forget it, but like it's my biggest, one of my biggest regrets to this day. Talking about the origins of Christmas, it didn't go down too well, <laughs> shall we yeah. say? Well, don't, don't beat yourself up too much. I mean, that's that's the nature of indoctrination. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's sad, but you know, we're still here, and um, yeah. And you've got plenty, plenty more Christmases left where you can like fully yeah, embrace yeah, got, it. Exactly. I've got plenty of time to make up for, but um, yeah, on a birthday level, you know, you said you're only two. We've only celebrated. I think I've done three or four. So yeah, I've only done yeah. a couple. So, but um, yeah, yeah, it just yeah, it's just that it did feel weird initially, but whereas now it's like you know, I look forward to the Christmas period oh, and yeah, I look forward to your birthday. You can look forward to it in the calendar, and you can get all excited about it, which obviously you couldn't before. So. Okay, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's been absolutely great talking to you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on, uh, Ryla. Well, really you. appreciate it. It's been great. It's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how many commonalities there are, you yeah. know, between all of us um, ex-witnesses, you know, the, the, the common elements to our stories. It's just, you know, I, I expect it now, but hearing it, it's it's really validating and it just never ceases to amaze me. Yes, and likewise. And like I said earlier in the video, for me personally, there's, there's like you said, with the similarities, but I think there's a lot of similarities between our stories and that's what I can relate to. And that's why I sort of really warmed to your channel when you were delved into about your previous marriage and now hearing about how birthdays and Christmas were for you. It's like, you know, we're yeah. not, not the only one, you know, so yeah, exactly. it's really nice to know we've, we've all got the same struggles, but, you know, we're all yeah. there to support each other as well. Likewise, likewise. Okay, well, thanks again for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Riley. And thank you, viewers, for watching. If you haven't already done so, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. 
please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.